Morning 12th, good to see everybody. We have a treat for you this morning. Um, Going to do something a little bit different. I think we're all pretty excited about it. So um, before I jump in, I want to say for just something about the Bible study tomorrow night. When I became a new Christian, one of the first things I learned when I was being discipled was the importance of the Word of God in my life and the five things that Scripture commands me to do to, with it, that, I'm, and a, that it fits a hand, that I'm commanded to hear the Word of God. So you're doing that this morning. I'm commanded to read, which should be my daily pattern. I'm commanded to study the Scripture. I'm commanded to memorize and also to meditate on it, meditation being the most important because the thumb is what gives me the power to hold on to something. But I need all five of those in my life. And so I think a lot of us hear the Word of God. We listen to podcasts, show up on Sundays. Um, you know, the statistics on the number of believers who are regularly hearing, reading the Word aren't that great these days. Uh, my guess is not a lot of people really study. And so that's what that Bible 101 is. And it's, it's like entry-level study. This is not like super deep study. But um, if you're interested, I think you'll find great value. I was just reading, um, somebody gave me for Father's Day, Tim Keller's, the book, Tim Keller's biography. And I was scanning over the first couple of chapters and saw after he became, he became a believer through InterVarsity, which was significant in you guys' spiritual journeys. And how that he had gone to Bear Trap Ranch, which if you've been around here long, you know about through our international student ministry. And while he was there, did a three-week leadership training. And a lady, I think her name was Barbara Boyd, taught, among other things, how to a method of studying the Scripture. And that chapter talked about that that became foundational in his life. And, and he so much of everything, even his, his ability to do sermons all grew out of that. And it's again, it's not super high-tech, but it's a great way to study the Word of God. So if you're interested, I really challenge you to be there. Um, I think you'll find it really fruitful um, to do that. So, um, country music, I'm not a super big fan. I mean, I listen to some stuff, but the reality is, is we all love music. It's an important part of our lives. Is that not true? That's part of the reason God worked singing and worship is part of how he designed things. I was listening to KJIL this morning on the way to church and just singing along with some of the worship songs, but country music is pretty famous in our culture because it grew up in American culture. They are, have some of the most creative songs because their songs are always stories, usually, and they have some of the most creative names ever written for a song. Can I share a few with you? Um, here are some of the songs from country music. How can I miss you if you won't go away? That's a good one. Or how about this, flush from the bathroom of your heart. <laughs> This one came from John Denver. I like John Denver. I don't ever remember this, but you done stomped my heart. That's, that's a good one. How about this? If the phone don't ring, you know it's me. And my two favorites on this list, if I don't love you, grits ain't groceries. Uh, if that one's true, poor Pat, because grits are never in my groceries. And then the last one, her teeth was stained, but her heart was pure. Amen. <laughs> so... All that's to say that we're going to be in one of the most important books of the Bible the rest of the summer. It's the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. Um, and doing a follow-up to last summer, um, and at the pace we're going, we'll be about every summer for about 10 years in the Psalms if we want to get them all. Um, we won't necessarily do it every summer, but there's just too many rich Psalms to just to give a summer to them. So we're going to come back to them. Um, but I really want you to hang on tight this morning because we're going to do something really unique. Um, so I want you to strap, strap yourself in, get those seat belts buckled, and you're ready to go. So let me talk for a minute about the Psalms. 
Perhaps the best known and loved parts of the Bible are the Psalms. This is the book of Psalms, just this right here. Um, so loved that the Psalms are the most, of all the Old Testament books, are the most quoted in the New Testament. Among the early church fathers, the most quoted Old Testament book. Um, so significant um, that the first pilgrims, the first book they published in America was the Bay Psalm book. That's how significant it was to them. Recent research from the Bible app and from um, Bible Gateway shows that almost every year the most shared Scripture um, comes from the Psalms. About 25% of shared Scripture come out of the Psalms. And if people indicate their favorite Bible verse about, it's about 25% of people's favorite Bible verse actually comes out of the Psalms. So they're important, and a lot of people love the Psalms. Um, and I got a few of those in this service on the way out. Man, I love the Psalms. But I also know people who dislike the Psalms. And they dislike them for a couple of reasons. One, when you look at them, I mean, it, it, it's poetry. It looks like poetry, right? And some of us don't necessarily love poetry. Uh, sorry, Jack, I love prose. I'm just not a big poetry guy, except for Dr. Seuss. That's my level of poetry. I can, that I can do. Um, and so some people don't like that, but a lot of people don't like the negativity of the Psalms, who don't like them. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to try to a little bit um, reframe the Psalms because I think they're misunderstood, and I really want to give us an idea of what they are, a pro proper perspective. So I need to say a few things, and if you're a note taker, there are some notes, so I'm going to say a few introductory things about the Psalms here, and I'm going to do the first one right now. First and foremost, at their core, the Psalms are prayers. They're prayers, collection of 150 different prayers that were collected over about a 500-year period, which is a little bit crazy if you think about it. Most are written by individuals. Some of them are written by various groups. They were, and to this very day, this is the prayer book of the Hebrew people. This was the prayer book of Jesus. It was the prayer book of the early church. That's why in Ephesians 5.19, Paul says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, making music to the Lord in your hearts. And for centuries, this has been the prayer book of untold millions of people who follow Jesus. But there's something else unique about the Psalms. Not only that they um, are prayers, which is kind of a duh, I think we know that. But the next thing that is unique about them that I really think is important in helping us understand the Psalms, um, that more often than not, when you're reading a Psalm, you're actually reading somebody's spiritual journal. You're reading their spiritual journal. This perspective helped me a lot as I was first learning about the Psalms. So in the Psalms, I get to actually look over the shoulders of some of the greats of the Old Testament, of Moses and of Solomon and especially of David, as they are recording in their own pen their interactions with the Lord and the daily emotions, the things they're going through, the realities of their hearts as they process their life before Him, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I get in on their journals. I mean, if people write journals, don't they keep them locked and private? Nobody wants anybody to see, but we get to look into the journal of some of the greatest men of history. And these psalms, these journals, as you read them, they're just written by real flesh and blood people like you and me. As Sebastian Moore says, the psalms are rough-hewn from earthly experience. I love that quote. And as journal prayers, when you get into these, they are unfiltered and they're raw. If you want some, a book that's tidy, the Psalms are not the place to go. There are highs and there are lows, right, in this book. They give voice to unspeakable joy, but also unspeakable sorrow. You will find this book full of praise, and you will also find in it the deepest of rage. And that's why they're not always comfortable reading to some people, and that's why some people don't like them. But you know what? We need these because we live in a culture and an age where we don't like uncomfortable things. 
We avoid death. We avoid anything related to pain and suffering, and we, we need the Psalms really badly. And so that's why I enter into them. I'm in them right now in my own personal reading um, because I frequently find my life and my emotions in these. Not every day, not in all of them, but frequently I find myself in here. And I think it's why so much the language of these things is so earthy and fits people's lives, why so many people love them. Um, as C.S. Lewis says, when the psalm speaks, we are in the world that we know, right? You can read Paul and get a lot out of it. You're not, you're not always sure you're in the world that he's talking about, but in this, you're in the world that you know. And that's why the psalms are not simply to be read, but they're to be prayed, which I think is the third point if you're taking notes. These are more than God's words to us. They are intended to be our words to Him. This is the only book of the Bible that is not just purely words to us and for us. These are actually words that He gave us so that we can communicate, pray them back to Him. It's a really unique book in that way. So this is to be our prayer book. This is to be our prayer book. And you know, the Psalms are amazing. They give voice to so much of my own experience in my life. Um, And when I don't know what to pray, I frequently turn to the Psalms. Maybe I'm in a gospel or something else, and if I hit a rough patch, I'm back in the Psalms because I need language on how to pray. So turn to them often. So they shape our prayers. That's the other thing about Psalms on this outline if you're doing that. These things give shape to our prayers. That's why St. Augustine said that the prayers are a school of prayer because they teach us how to pray. They teach us how to pray. And they're a school of prayer in three ways. I talked about two of these last year. I'm going to reiterate them very briefly. I want to talk to you about a third, and the third is going to be the core of what we're doing this morning. So first, they aid us in expressing ourselves to God by giving us the vocabulary of prayer. They teach me in the vocabulary of prayer. Athanasius, who is a fourth century church father, said, most of the scriptures speak to us, but the Psalms speak for us because they give me vocabulary and language of prayer. And as we pray the Psalms, and what I encourage you to do is I'll read it, And then I'll go back through and I'll actually pray it to Him. Even if it's not where I'm at in my life, I still pray that thing. But as we do that, our our ability to pray is greatly enhanced because we learn by example. That's how I learn best is by watching somebody else, right? So when I'm reading the Psalms, I'm learning by example. I'm seeing how to speak to God in the ups and downs of my life through words that God gave to one of His great saints in the past that they spoke to Him. So they, they help me to learn to pray by giving me vocabulary. Second, they teach me to pray my real life. That's another thing that's a great benefit of the Psalms. They teach me to pray my real life, to come to Him as I truly am, not as I'm supposed to be. I mean, isn't, isn't that what they do in their prayer journals? They're coming to God as they really are. Um, to pray the life that I really inhabit, not the life that I wish I inhabited. That's why they're so helpful. As C.S. Lewis says, we pray what is in us, not what is supposed to be in us. And that's what the Psalms have taught me. So I've learned from the Psalms to express to Him my joy and my sorrow, right? My confusion, my fear, and my failings. Um, I'm willing to go to Him with my disappointment, my anger, and my despair because they teach me to pray my real life. I think it's through the Psalms we learn to express the full range of our emotions to God. And us guys need a lot of help with that to even know what our emotions are, but they help me to express them. That's why John Calvin said, the Psalms are an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. And I just want you to know, the Psalms teach me that God is not interested in me putting on a face before Him. He's uninterested in that. 
He wants to come, me to come to Him in the fullness of who I really am, to Him in the fullness of who He is. And there's a third part of the Psalms of how they teach me. And this really sets us up for what we're going to do the rest of the morning. The third thing is the Psalms teach us the various kinds and patterns of prayer. The various kinds and patterns of prayer that we can offer up to Him. There's, we're going to see this morning, there's a lot of types of psalms in the Psalter, and it's really helpful, us, helpful for us, I think, to learn each type and its intended purpose and what they do in my life. These types have assisted God's people in dealing with the circumstances of their life for 3,000 years, for a long time, clear back to Moses. So the psalms, what I love about them is they appeal to the full range of the human experience, not just emotions, I'm talking about the human experience. And thereby, they train us in the different types of praying that are necessary so that I will know how to meet Him on the various legs of my own journey with different types of prayer. So if I were to give a sentence, a summary to this, that this sermon is about and what the Psalms do, is the Psalms give us language for all of the seasons of our life. And that'll pop up here in a second. The Psalms give us language for all seasons of the soul for all the seasons of the soul. And that's going to be our focus today. That's going to be our focus. All right, one more thing. If you're wondering, like, did I forget these guys and they're just sitting up here? I had several people at first service. Like one guy said, I wanted to text you and say, you left the team up there and they didn't get to do the worship. We're going to come to that, okay? Um, this morning, I want to talk about nine major types of psalms. I want to talk about nine major types. We're actually going to, we're going to enter into them. It's not just going to be about information. We're going to learn about them. We're going to pray them, and we're going to sing them together. Um, we're going to take a moment if with each of those types. We're going to look briefly at it. We're going to actually read as a community an example of that type of psalm, and then we're going to sing a modern equivalent of that kind of song as a community this morning. Um, and the reason we're going to do that, because it's easy to forget, these were, psalms, these were songs that were sung in Hebrew worship. And it's easy to forget they were songs. So we want to, that's going to be all a part of our worship this morning. Okay, one quick thing before we jump in. Um, there are nine different types, but it doesn't mean you come to a psalm and it's just that type only. And the next one is this type that they fit perfectly. Some of them are a pure form of a type, but you'll find a lot of times a psalm will have two or three types that are mixed inside of it. Um, but it's good to know these. So first, I want to hit what are called the Psalms of Rejoicing. The Psalms of Rejoicing. This is not an actual category of psalms. It's simply me giving language to two types of psalms that, psalms that are closely related, okay? And they are psalms of praise and psalms of thanksgiving. So the first major type of psalm are the psalms of praise. And these psalms are so important because in the words of C.S. Lewis, the most valuable thing the psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David dance. And if there's not anybody who doesn't need to learn a little more delight in God to dance, it's me, okay? Um, so I need the Psalms. I'm, I'm needing to up my delight in Him game. And in the Psalms, I'm praising God for who He is, for who He is. I'm doing in the words of Psalm 29.2, I am ascribing to the Lord the glory that's due His name or that's due His character or His essence as we've learned the last semester because God truly is praiseworthy. Is He not praiseworthy? He truly is praiseworthy. And when you look at God and you see His excellency and His beauty, are you not led by Him? Um, are you not just brought to your knees before Him and saying, how can I not worship a God like this? That's what the Psalms of praise do. 
closely related type of psalm are psalms of thanksgiving. Unlike psalms of praise, which focus on who God is, the psalms of thanksgiving praise Him for what He has done, the things that He has done in my life or has given me. And in these psalms, I am rendering to God the thanks that is due His name. The thanks that is due His name. Thanks for His faithfulness, His provision, just His goodness in my life, His blessings, His protection, His deliverance, His unfailing love. So I'm giving thanks to Him for those things. In a minute, we're going to sing a psalm of praise to the Lord. Before we do that, I want to take a minute and give us space to actually pray a prayer of thanksgiving to our loving Father. What I'd like you to do specifically is thank God for three people in your life. Let's not make them family, okay? That's, that's the easy thing to do. You can give thanks for your family in the midst of this time, but pray for three people that God has brought into your life you want to give thanks for. And then I want you to give thanks to God for three things in your life. And don't just think about the good things. That's what the Psalms teach me. Um, Paul commands us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in Christ Jesus for all things, because this is His will in Jesus Christ. So I'm to give thanks for all things. And a lot of times, giving thanks for a hard time when I don't understand it is me like putting down a safety, a security deposit and saying, Lord, I don't get it, but I know that you cause all things to work for good in my life, and you'll do it with this. I want to give thanks to you even though I don't get it. So don't be afraid if you're in the midst of a painful situation to, to even thank Him for that. So let's take a minute and let's privately, quietly in our hearts, let's go to the Lord in prayer, prayer of thanksgiving. And all God's people said, Amen. A psalm of both praise and thanksgiving, a psalm 100. Would you stand with me? I would like to read this corporately together. And I want to tell you, you can't read a psalm of praise and thanksgiving without great enthusiasm. So can we bring some enthusiasm to the reading of this? Join with me. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy acknowledging that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His people. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Go into His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and His faithfulness continues to each generation. All right, let's sing a song of praise to Him. Praise my Lord. 
God. Can you have a seat for a minute? Another type of psalm, what are called the psalms of confession, or the penitential psalms. <clears throat> These psalms express sorrow for sin. They appeal to God for His mercy and ask for forgiveness, for cleansing, for healing, and for restoration. And these psalms are so important. When I was an early Christian, again, um, in my early discipleship, I was taught to keep a clean slate before the Lord, to daily confess that day's sins to Him, and to keep that, the fellowship and the relationship open and strong. And so the, these psalms help us to do that. I think the most famous of these psalms is Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin after having committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I want to read a part of it to you, so listen to the word of the Lord. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a loyal spirit. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Make me willing to obey you. John Wesley wrote a famous prayer of confession, and I'd like to corporately pray this together. You may stay seated for this, but let us pray this in sincerity of heart, praying it, reflecting on the words in our own lives. So would you join me? Forgive them all, O Lord, our sins of omission and our sins of commission, the sins of our youth and the sins of our riper years, the sins of our souls and the sins of our bodies, our secret and our more open sins, our sins of ignorance and surprise, and our more deliberate and presumptuous sin, the sins we have done to please ourselves, the sins we have done to please others, the sins we know and remember, and the sins we have forgotten, the sins we have striven to hide from others and the sins by which we have made others offend. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all for His sake, who died for our sins and rose for our justification and now stands at Your right hand to make intercession for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. You know your sins, and the Lord knows your sins. You know the sins that you must struggle with, the ones that just seem to come back day after day after day after day. And most importantly, we all experience the sin of the neglect of our relationship with Him. I mean, we need to call it what it is, okay? It's sin. The neglect of that daily walk with Him. The failure to love Him with all of my heart all of my strength, with all of my soul, and with all of my might. So I want to take a few minutes of silence to confess our personal sins to Him, as well as 
not just our personal sins, but our tendency of our hearts to drift and to wander. Just to cry out to Him that we want to know Him more and experience Him more and walk more closely with Him. So you may choose whatever posture you feel is appropriate. You can sit, you can stand, you can, you know, bury your hands into your, your face into your hands. You can turn and pray and kneel at the seat, whatever you prefer. But I'd like us to take a couple of minutes and just in this time to offer confession to the Lord for our sins. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So would you stand with me? We want to um, sing a song of confession and of our just utter dependence and our need for him. Bye. 
One thing I love about the Psalms and the, these different types is it doesn't matter where you are in your journey this morning, something of these is going to speak to you and hit you where you are. So, so I want to speak next about the Psalms and pain and suffering. Again, this is not an actual category. I'm just simply trying to give language to two of the Psalms that are closely related, and there are two kinds. There's songs of imprecation, which are imprecatory Psalms. I'll get to those in a second, and songs of lament. 
The songs of imprecation, the imprecatory psalms, are prayers of anger that are directed to God about someone or somebody who has wronged you or done grave injustice to you. Um, and I want to tell you, when you read these things, they're harsh. They're harsh. Let me give you a taste of a song of imprecation. In Psalm chapter 3, verse 7, here's what David prays. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Wow. Somebody got up on the wrong side of the bed that morning, right? But that's his spiritual, that's his journal that day. And what I love about the imprecatory Psalms is you might be like, it is not right to say that, but the reality is at some point in our life, due to some grave injustice, we've all thought something like that, right? And it's just simply an invitation to give that to God and to leave it there with Him and let Him deal with it. That's why they're actually so important. Um, I'm not going to say too much more, but just any time when in modern sensibilities, when you read the imprecatory psalms, they seem quite offensive. But I just want you to know we need the imprecatory psalms. We need these things. Even though you can't pronounce what they are, we need them. I think there's seven of them in here. And again, I'm not going to give a lot of time. If you want to know more fully of why they're important and why we need them, I preached on one almost exactly a year ago on, on um, July 3rd. And I went through Psalm 137, the most offensive of all of them. I picked the hardest one and went through it and talked about why our soul needs those things. So if you want to delve into that more, uh, check that out. Then next are the Psalms of Lament. I want to make a few observations about the Psalms of Lament. Um, They are honest expressions of pain and confusion, cries out to God, right? That's what they are. Biblical um, laments, it's a cry to God and a complaint frequently about others, but many times even about God himself to himself even complaining about him. And they're packed with emotion. In a lament, you find anger and grief. You find despair, um, frustration, confusion, fear, contrition. You find it's the, the full gamut of emotions are packed inside of these psalms of lament. And would you be surprised to learn that six out of 10 of the psalms either are a lament or they have a lament in them? And I think it's because, yeah, life is good. I wear those shirts. The life is good with the cool dude. But life is also painful Maybe I should create a, a line of shirts. Life is pain. Do you think those would sell well? I don't know. Probably not. But that's the reality, and that's why six out of ten of them are these songs that speak of sorrow and of pain. You know, if you look closely at a biblical lament, something really important, you'll see that it's a prayer with two parts, and both, both parts are really important. The first part is always the cry of the pain. It's always the cry. Um, it's the declaration of the pain. But a biblical lament never ends there. It always goes on to something that follows. And what follows is the cry is followed by confidence. The declaration of pain is followed by a declaration of hope in God, of ultimate hope in Him. They always end with a confession of a greater unseen reality. That's how they always end. And they always end with a concluding vote of confidence in God. And I want you to know that last part is... It's so important because if you just do the first part, your, your prayer life and your own soul will just get stuck in complaint and despair. And we need, we need to rise to that level of hope. So that's why both parts are important. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And I want to read a Psalm of Lament together. It will be Psalm 13. And as we read this, if you look closely, you will see both parts in it. So please join me. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul 
with sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eye, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Let's sing a song of lament together. We're going to sing Hymn of Heaven. It's, it's just what Garam was talking about. It begins with that cry out, um, this, this longing for pain to be gone, but then it, it ends with this confidence um, that we have a hope to come. Sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
may be seated. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Six types of psalm and psalms of trust. They expressed a firm and resolute trust and confidence in God. And as you read the psalms, this thread of trust is woven all throughout the book, and for really important reasons. When we talked about Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is my peace, um, a lot of scripture I shared that morning says that without trust, I will not have the peace of God in my life. Trust is foundational to that. But even more importantly, trust is foundational to relationship. You cannot have a relationship without trust. Is that not right? And haven't you learned in your own life that to cultivate a relationship, you need to cultivate trust? And the Psalms is one of the best ways for me to cultivate my trust in God as I read through them and read about who He is. They help me to develop and grow in that trust. So if you're able, I know we're doing a lot up and down today. You're getting your exercise in. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let us read together from a Psalm of Trust. It is Psalm 56. Psalm 56. Again, with me, read. Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what He has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? What can mere mortals do to me? I put my trust in you. So let's sing a song of trust in God. Trust. 
So before coming to our last type of psalm, I want to share briefly two others, and they're the Wisdom Psalms and the Pilgrim Songs. Wisdom Psalms, as their name implies, usually has a strong emphasis on, what would you guess? Yeah, on wisdom, as it is found specifically in the instruction of the Lord, and specifically, even more specifically, in the Torah, as it is found there. And biblical wisdom, I've defined in the past, it's, it's what it means to live the good life, to be on the good path. And these Psalms, they implore us to seek the wisdom of God, and to live into it, to seek and live into it. And they remind us that following the way of the Lord is really and truly the best and the only path into a fruitful, a truly prosperous, a truly blessed life are through the wisdom psalms and the wisdom of God. Very often in these psalms, when you read through them, you will see a contrast between the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. And next Sunday, I'm actually going to teach through a wisdom psalm. An eighth type of psalm are the psalms, the pilgrim psalms, or they're called the psalms of pilgrimage, or you'll see it a lot of times at the top of these psalms, the psalms of ascent, of going up. Um, there's a group of 15 of them that start in Psalm 120, and they go consecutively. They were, song, they were sung as the people of God journeyed up to Israel three times a year to the festival. They're called songs of ascent because they're at, you have to go up to Jerusalem wherever you are in Israel. Um, or pilgrim songs, because they're on a pilgrimage to that place. They were also sung, a few of them were written as they left the exile in Babylon and were journeying back, pilgrimaging back to, to the land and to Jerusalem. Eugene Peterson says that these psalms are, are good because they are metaphors for the, the life of loving and following God, because it's a life of keeping my focus upward on Him and moving towards Him, and just the 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 desire of us to spiritually mature as we walk towards Him in our life. And the final ninth psalm, which we want to look at today, are what are called royal psalms. They're also called psalms of enthronement or kingly psalms. And these psalms celebrate the reign, <clears throat> the reign of God as the ultimate and sovereign king of the universe. The ultimate and sovereign king of the universe. This is one of the main themes of the book of Psalms, that our God reigns. Would you say that with me? Our God reigns. And I want you to know, do you not agree in a world of evil and suffering? We need these Psalms. We need these Psalms because we need to be reminded that one day God will put everything right. 
He will put everything right. And he will one day fully be in charge again. And he'll create a new heaven, a new earth, a new creation. And everything will be as he intended it in the very beginning, how he originally designed things to function. And I chose to end with these psalms because I think we need to be reminded of the reality of something that J.R.R. Tolkien said. I have Lewis in it. I've got to have Tolkien, right? One of my favorite things ever written, where J.R.R. Tolkien says of that one day that everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. Then in the words of Paul in Romans 8, 18, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Or in Paul's words that he penned in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. So we fix our eyes not what is on not as what is unseen, but what is un, unseen. <clears throat> because we know that what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So you know it very well may be that the person sitting you next today needs to be reminded of this reality that our God reigns. And so if you feel comfortable, okay, I'm an introvert, so I know it's like if you're sitting next to somebody you don't know, but if you feel comfortable and you're sitting next to somebody, you know. Put a hand on the shoulder. Grab their hand. If, you're, if you know them better, give them a pat. Put a, put a hand on the knee. And I want you to turn to the person next to them, and I want you to say to them, our God reigns. All right. One last time. You got it in you? Would you stand one more time with me? And let us read together a royal psalm. We're going to read a royal psalm together. And I want to tell you, you cannot read a royal psalm, and it, it, doesn't, come, it doesn't come out of your gut. I mean, it's, it's got to have some oomph to it. Is that not right? So let us read this with the energy and the power that it deserves. So join me in Psalm 47. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. God has ascended with a mighty shout. The Lord has ascended with trumpets blaring. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. And let us end with a song a praise to God as our King.
Yeah, keep standing if you don't mind this time. Um, God is king and he reigns. And I need to hear that each and every day. So I want to read from Psalm 145 and Psalm 97 where it says, I will exalt you, my God the king. I will praise your name forever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest coastlands be glad. Can we hear it again for the Lord? Because He is king. So 12, these nine types of psalms, they, they just cover all aspects of life, and they're essential to a vibrant faith. So 12, let us be people of the psalms. Let us be people who come to them frequently and who know them and who allow them to shape the way we pray and our language. Let them be a part of our regular spiritual diet. And I want to send us out with a benediction from the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 90, verses 16 to 17. This is my prayer over you. May your deeds, Lord, be shown to these, your servants, and your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. And God's people said, amen. All right, I want to close us out in prayer and send everybody. Um, I got a word right before this that our chair crew is really small today. So if there's a few of you with uh, strong backs and strong arms who want to, to lean that into getting some chairs up, that would be appreciated. But let me pray. Father, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for for that you saw it in your, your wisdom to have like the longest book of the Bible be a book of people's spiritual journals and how much it, it means to me and how all these types speak into my life. So, Lord, make us into a people of the Psalms. And, Lord, make us, just as we live through this week, make, make us a people who live praising you, trusting you, being honest in you with our prayers, giving you our laments, um, but ultimately trusting in you and leaning on the fact that you are king. May we live into that reality today because so many people live in a very broken, messed up world and they don't know where to center their lives or what to build upon. Lord, we just need more people to know that you're king. 
And so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 12th. Wasn't it good to spend a morning in the Psalms together to be with God's people and do that? You are sent.